You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. That gets me. Um, so before I, before I go ahead and preach, I'm going to pray real quick, um, just because I feel like it's always a good practice to get into. Um, and when I only pray for for myself and and stuff like that, but I pray for you all because um, I'm human. I may say things that are not perfect, and so I just pray that, you know, the words that I preach, um, anything that I say just falls completely on deaf ears, but anything that God is saying through me, that that be presented and that not fall away from you guys. So I'm just going to pray that, and we'll get right into um, what I prepared. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your peace. Thank you so much for the gift of your son. God, when we prepare to read your word, we do it with reverence. We do it with an understanding of just how amazing you are and just how much your holiness demands. And God, I know that I will always fall short. So I ask that as I preach this message, that anything that I say that is not of you just fall away and completely be unremembered. But God, I ask that anything that I say that is of your will, not only be remembered, but be put into practice by those who listen by, and by the person that's standing behind this pulpit. God, I preach it with fear and trembling, but I also preach your throne with a boldness that I have in the blood of Christ Jesus that has been spilled for me and spilled for all my friends here. So I ask your blessing on this message, and I ask that it bless each and every person that gets to hear it. In your name I pray, amen. So, this Sunday morning, we are talking about peace. And of course, whenever we talk about peace, we must ask ourselves, what do you fear? Now, that question is something that a dishonest person would say that they have absolutely no fear, that absolutely nothing causes them to panic, nothing causes them to stress, nothing causes them to get anxious or causes them to sweat. They're actually completely secure in everything. But if we're honest, we admit that there are a lot of things that we're afraid of in the day-to-day. The biggest fears is the fear of unknown, and my biggest fear, actually, this was recently exposed to a bunch of my friends because we were sitting and talking. I have a big fear of technology and the unknowns of technology. I mean, it's really weird. Like, I think to myself, can somebody see me through my camera? Is there a way, like, if I download this thing, can they, like, get access to my files, get access to where my house is, figure out where I am? I often have nightmares that people are watching me through my camera, and then they find a way to break into my home. I mean, this is a serious fear that I have. And if I can be honest with you all, these fears drive me in ways that I don't fully understand, right? They're, they're pretty funny. Like, I'm the type of guy that if I go on a website and then I light go on on my camera, I just put a Band-Aid over the camera and I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, no one gets to see what I'm doing, me in my little bathrobe, chilling, watching YouTube. No one's going to see that. You know, I freak out and I think, well, is there some sort of place that I can go to get rid of spyware? By the way, go to Max Tech Hut. I recently had my computer fixed by them. Beautiful people, really good prices, completely besides the point. Um... See why I had to pray, y'all? Um, but when I, I realized that it's this fear that drives me to do things that I completely don't understand, I remember distinctly being freaked out by an instance of uh, an unknown technical fear. And this was actually pretty recent. I talked to my parents about it. I talked to Rachel about it. My friend told me, he said, you need to go play this video game. And he told me the name of the video game. I won't tell you to spare you guys the fear. 
But I, I played it, and then all of a sudden, in my window, a little thing popped up and says, these files are being downloaded into your computer. And I told him, I said, dude, like, this is my biggest fear. Not only are these files being downloaded, but they're pretty creepy files. I mean, like, scary pictures or whatever. It was a horror game. But I didn't know it was the kind of horror game that was supposed to, like, make you feel like the computer was doing something or whatever. I even remember at the very beginning of the video game, I put in, like, my name was, like, I don't know, Senior Libros, which is the, the, my name for Instagram and stuff like that. Well, it went into my computer and read the file that had my name on it. And at one point it said, isn't that right? Your name isn't this. It's actually Landon Robert Hevelo, isn't it? And I'm like, <laughs> I remember I called my friend and I'm like, dude, no. Like, you should have known that I was afraid of this. I mean, I remember some of these files were spooky. I was afraid of everything. But that was the point where I shut off my game and I tried to sleep. And I had nightmares, dude. Like, really bad nightmares. Nightmares. And this was about three weeks ago. I was having all of these nightmares of people watching me and all of this stuff. And I lived, and this fear lived rent-free inside of my head. But I'm sure that this isn't the only person that this has happened to. I mean, I, just for instance, I know my father and I, and I'm sorry to bring you up again, but my father and I often talk about how he used to watch the Exorcist commercials as a kid, and it, it scared him, and he still to this day can't watch the movie. It just terrifies him. You know, it just lives rent-free. Even just by saying it, sometimes I can get a little fear out of my father. Um, and I look at it, and I'm like, that's nothing. I mean, I wouldn't watch it, but I look at the old commercials, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's special effects. That's, he's like, but dude, like, seriously, it's freaky. There's things sometimes that happen out of, your comp- out of your control, and it terrifies you so much that you can't lose sleep. I mean, what did Mary's mother just say? With a child comes an unexpected partner, and that partner is fear. That partner is worry. And she became wrapped up in what happened to make this fear arise in her, this fear of approval of other people. What is everybody else going to think? What have you done? Was what she continuously just kept saying. What have you done, Mary? What have you done? Because she was fearful. That fear drove her to do something she didn't completely understand, asking these questions, screaming at her daughter. And we come to a place where we're tormented to the point of obsession almost with this fear, obsessed with being liked, obsessed with this technological fear, obsessed with this stuff that that really upsets us. And it bothers us so much to the point that we just scream to God, all I want is peace. Somehow this eludes us. Somehow we're not able to get peace. Somehow this still lives rent-free in our mind. Why? Well, I believe that the prophet Isaiah has some answers. And I'm going to be asking you guys to do a little bit of heavy lifting. Hopefully you have a Bible. If you don't, there should be one in the rack in front of you. So um, as I go throughout Isaiah, I might bring up other verses and stuff. But it would really benefit you to have Isaiah 56 pulled up in front of you. So we're going to start with Isaiah 57. Sorry, Isaiah 57, verse 13. It says, When you cry out, let your collections of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Now, these words of God are very contentious, right? These are not like, he's not mincing words. I actually was talking to a few of my friends and I said I wanted to develop a theology of trash talk because God does sometimes say things that appear to be sarcastic. And this is one of them. He says, when you cry out, let your collections of idols deliver you. He doesn't actually mean that. He's actually trying to teach them something. And it's, quite frankly, it's sarcastic. He's saying, let them deliver you because you know it won't happen. 
Now, why is God being so t- contentious? Why is he upset with Israel or, or Judah in this particular case? On well, the previous verses of this chapter, we see a few telling things. Now, what's important for you to understand about Isaiah is Isaiah is written from a written in the context of a pre-exilic Judah. This is before um, they were released into exile. This is before they were all wandering around and everything after um, they had been with the Babylonians. And so this was a time when a lot of bad stuff was going on, not only in Israel, but in its southern um, counterpart, Judah. And we know that Isaiah is prophesying to these people, but what we also find out is in verse 1 and 2, it says that these people were known for mocking the righteous. And you can see it right there in Isaiah 57, that they were known to go around, and you know, they were a very idolatrous people. That's um, shown in verses 5 through 10. So as they served their idols, most likely the Canaanite idol, idol that they had just um, inherited, the place that they had just um, come into possession of, they actually took on their idols. And as they took on their idols, they began to mock people that still believed in the one true God, that still worshiped Yahweh, that still um, believed all the things that the prophets had said, that believed the things that Moses had said. So not only were they mocking the righteous, but they'd become idolatrous idolaters. Now, why adulterous? Well, that's the way that God actually explains it in verses 5 through 10. He says, you know, you have seen the bed of many idols and you have loved it. He's making comparison between God and them saying, like, if you were to be my bride, you would already be adulterous because of the idols that you see. Any need that you have, you run to any other idol. Now, something, and, and if you have small children here, you might want to plug their ears because it's going to get a little graphic. Um, but it says they sacrifice their children to false idols. This is in verse 5. I mean, this is some serious stuff. And that's why I believe that this next thing that I have to say, it might be shocking, but there's a root to all this serious stuff. It's the same root that's, that's to all the serious sins that we commit. Their worst crime of all, however, was fearing idols while not fearing the Lord. Man, how can you say that their worst crime is fearing idols? I mean, you just said that they sacrifice their children. Wouldn't child sacrifice be worse than just fearing another god? Well, think about how desperate you have to be to willingly sacrifice your own child. And not just sacrifice your child. And I apologize, but I don't apologize because this is very, very important. This is how it happened. It wasn't just as simple as child sacrifice. According to the Canaanite god Molech, which was the most likely god that they had served, that they had adopted, the way that they would sacrifice their child to this idol and, and remember, God said that, he, that this happened, that they sacrificed their children in verse 5. The most likely way that this was happened is it was a metal idol to Molech, and he had his hands like this. And they would place burning fire under the hands until it was glowing red. And when they took the, the glow, and once it was blazing red, they would place the little infant into the hands of the glowing red Molech idol. And as they did that, the baby would just start to scream, right? Of course it would. And they would, and so as it was screaming, well, they had to deal with that because Molech didn't like the child screaming. So what they did was they took these drums and they pounded as loud as they could on these drums so then they didn't have to hear the screams of the child. And when the child stopped screaming, the sacrifice was over. What kind of fear do you have to have to do something that heinous? 
to do something that evil, to sacrifice your very child, to put something so beautiful, something so precious into the hands of a burned and allow it to scream, writhe in pain, and just bang the drum so then you don't have to look at it. But before we go judging Judah and their atrocities, let's not forget that we often do the same thing. Landon, I've never sacrificed my son or daughter. Landon, no, I've never. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if we're honest, our fears of idols are so evident in the decisions that we make in our day to day. Think about it. When we're afraid that we don't have enough money, how often do we put our tithe in the hands of burning idols? How often do we put our dignity when we steal into the hands of burning idols? Okay, well, maybe that's not your problem. Maybe financial security isn't your problem. Maybe you're good. Maybe you're very giving. But what about when we're afraid that plans won't go our way? How often do we put anything in anybody that is in our way into the hands of burning idols that we sacrifice, that somebody so precious, a person that is made in God's image, we place in the burning hands of an idol, that being our plans, that idol being my way or the highway, that idol being our comfort. Okay, maybe not that. When we're afraid that our secret sin or addition or addiction might be found out, we might even place our very spirit in the hands of a burning idol, right? I'm talking about alcoholism. I'm talking about sexual addiction. I'm talking about any secret sin that you have. You're placing your very spirit, anger, bitterness into the hands of a burning idol, something so precious, something that God died for you to have life in the spirit. You're placing that in the burning hands of an idol, your spirit, your very spirit. And even in the case of Mary's mother in the skit, her fear of public perception led her to place Mary, her daughter, into the hands of a burning idol. That burning idol being public perception. That burning idol being, what are people going to think if my daughter not only has a child out of wedlock, but is saying crazy things like, this is a child of the Holy Spirit. This is not a child of a man, but this is a child of the Holy Spirit. What are people going to think? They're going to think that they're crazy. They're going to think that my whole life is crazy. See, Mary did it, but we also do it. And what do we do also? We also beat our drums as loud as we can so we don't have to listen to it. The drum's called church attendance. If I go and I'm a member in good standing at Faith Church, then maybe God will overlook the fact that, you know, I just, I steal a little bit of here and I steal from the government and I don't do my taxes exactly the right way. It's the drums of, of works and worship. Well, if I serve on December 5th, if I come out to Holly Jolly and I serve then, or if I go and I sing really, really loud at my worship service, then maybe God will turn his eye away at the way that I screamed at my wife last night. Or maybe at the way that I completely mistreated my kids. Or maybe he'll turn away at the way that I freaked out on my girlfriend. The drums of outward self-control. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I don't yell. I don't do any of these other things. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. So God must be fine. He, he, he must not even notice the fact that I slip into a corner and I, I get just a little bit too drunk. He must not notice that I slip into a corner and I just do a little bit too much and go a little bit too far with my significant other. He must not notice that because I, outwardly I have so much self-control. And the great tragedy of this is that no matter what we place in an idol's hands, it will always destroy and never save. See, that's the thing. We have these fears, right? These fears of public perception. These fears of our financial security. These fears of intimacy. 
And we go to these idols and we expect them to save them. But God's sarcastic or God's sarcasm is clear when he tells his people to cry out to their idols to save them. He knows that the very fears that drive them to do anything for peace, even to the fact of putting an infant into a burning hands of an idol, will not save them. He knows that it only brings them uncertainty. This is because ultimately God has provided all that we are. He's provided all of these materials, metal, wood, money, plans, community, intimacy, gifts, They're all created by God, but when you replace God with those things, they're malleable. They can bend, they can break, they're tossed. And that's why God says they blow to and fro. You, along with your idols, when you place something precious into it, you go along with that idol. You get blown left and right and ultimately left scarred, disoriented, and alone. Merry Christmas. Isn't that, aren't we supposed to be talking about peace? But I've just spent the last 15 minutes talking to you guys about fear. So how do we stop doing this, guys? How do we be peacemakers like Pastor Brett was talking about? How do we stop fearfully placing precious things into the burning hands of idols? And how do we obtain this peace that surpasses all understanding so that we can get refuge in God's holy mountain? Well, luckily, the majesty of the Prince of Peace is displayed by making peace available to each and every one of us. So continue reading with me. Hopefully, you're still at Isaiah 57 and verses 14 through 15. I believe the three things that you need to understand can be found in, this, in these two small verses. Isaiah 57, 15 through 15, or 14 through 15. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who was high and lifted up, who inhabits, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite and lowly and lowly spirit to, the, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, from this passage, we see that God is preparing a way. For those who live in fear and insecurity to come to his holy mountain. As followers of God, this passage shows that there are three things, three things that we have to understand. And once we understand them, we'll understand how we can go get grace or or how we can get peace, how peace is achievable for us. The first thing that we need to obtain and to share peace, the first thing that we need to understand is to understand what our idols are. Like I said at at the beginning of this message, We are all afraid of something. And so I'm going to ask you the question again, but it's not going to be as simple as, I'm scared of technology, I'm scared of the movie The Exorcist, I'm scared of this. What are you afraid of, really? Are you afraid of intimacy? Having people know you, seeing truly who you are and being known? Are you afraid of instability? Financial, emotional, mental, physical? Are you afraid to not be stable? Are you afraid to lack control and to not be the one in charge? Is that what your fear is? Are you afraid of being popular? Are you afraid of not having the people's approval? Are you afraid that one day you're going to end up alone and you're going to die alone? Is that a fear that you have? All of these fears, completely understandable. We live in a world that perpetuates these fears, a world with devils filled 
a world where people run around, where idols tell you how to get everything and they ultimately leave you empty, of course you're going to feel these fears. And I've had or had all of these fears. And whenever they rear their ugly head, idols have popped up. Do you want intimacy? Run to your computer screen. That's a quick and easy way to get it. Do you want financial security? Stop tithing. Stop giving so much to the church. I'm sure that your mom wouldn't mind if you $10 out of her wallet. I'm sure that your dad wouldn't mind if you used his credit card to get gas while you're out at the store. Do you want control? Well, the world says to seize it, to take it. If anybody gets in your way, crush them on the way to getting it. Because control is yours to have if you're bold enough to take it. That's what the world says. Do you want community? Latch on to anyone who will accept you. It doesn't matter what morals they have. It doesn't matter what they say. If they like you, do not let them go. It doesn't matter what they do to you. It doesn't matter what they say to you. Don't let them go because if you let them go, you'll always. See how so easily fear can cause us to run into the hands of idols. It can cause us to run into anything that makes sense in that very moment. But surely you must see the problem here. If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6, 18, and you don't have to, it just says that running to sexual immorality doesn't gratify you. It doesn't make you feel intimate. It stains you. It actually hurts you more than it ever helps you. This is something that I struggled with. This is something that I, I had to come and learn the really, really hard way. That running to it over and over and over again just because you feel like you want to be known, that you want to be loved, doesn't help. It actually hurts. It actually ruins you. It stains you on the inside. It's the only sin that is not outside of your body but is actually inside your body. What about when it comes to money or control? Right? It says, it, the world says, seize it. These idols say, seize it. Crush anybody in your path. What does the Bible say about it? The Bible says about it in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These things, this control, this money, this power, if you recognize the fact that it was never yours to begin with, you gain everything. But the world doesn't want you to know that. The world wants you to fear the fact that you're going to lose power. They want you to fear that so that you will buy the next thing, so that you will go and seize it, so that you will do whatever it takes to get that power. Popularity and community. If you were in Sunday school this morning, we talked a little bit about this. Paul says to this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Because human beings will pass away. Everything created will pass away. But God's holy mountain endures forever. And, and here's the thing. I don't share these verses. Don't make the mistake of thinking that I share these verses to condemn you. Because I'm a part of that. I've been there. I've done these things. I share these things because they prove exactly what idols are. That idols are obstacles in the way of the path to God's peace. It says in verse 14 of Isaiah 57, And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. Notice how God has clearly shown in each of these examples the way to live and believe. Right? Don't be sexually immoral. Because it actually... Don't seize control because when you seize control, you're seizing of something that's already fleeting. With popularity and community, that's already fleeting too. Approval of God is never fleeting. Storing treasures up in heaven is never fleeting. See, God has made it abundantly clear, yet our fear drives us to sin. 
Cast off these temptations. Latch onto the truths of Scripture. Latch onto those verses that I was just telling you. When you latch onto these truths, they, they don't exist to condemn you. There's no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. But what there is, is there is preparation. Preparation for temptation. Preparation for anything that comes your way. These verses are not there to condemn you, but to warn you, to inform you of instructions on your way to peace. Landon, why am I unhappy? Landon, why am I uncontent? Have you latched onto the truth? Or are you living off of fear? That's the first step. When you understand what idols are, when you understand what these things in your life that take up so much of your headspace are, that they're obstructions, that they're obstacles, it becomes easier for you to cast them aside. When you understand that the scriptures speaking on them are not to condemn you, but they're to inform you to cast them aside because they're obstacles to your peace, they're obstacles to what God has for you, it becomes so much easier to do. But there is a second thing that we need to understand to obtain and to share peace. We need to understand who God is. See, God makes it abundantly clear through his speaking with Isaiah who God is. God is high and lifted up. God inhabits eternity. And God's name is holy. Right? What does that mean? Well, God is using Isaiah to remind you of what he revealed to Moses in the burning bush. And if you've kept up with your email blasts, I had a little this on Monday, but I'm going to share it again because I think that this is so important. Moses was in a similar land to Isaiah and us. It was a land with thousands of idols, thousands of false gods. He was in the land of Egypt, right? So when Moses was confronted with a god in a burning bush, he asked a valid question. He said, what should I call you? And the reason this question is because the gods of Egypt were the gods of things, right? You have Horus, and he was the hawk god. You had Ra, and he was the sun god. The shame that I, uh, I think, is, is Freddy here? Freddy would probably know this. Thor, god of thunder, right? Thor was the god of thunder because he had the ability to manipulate thunder. But that's not what God's answer was. It wasn't, I am god of the burning bush, I am God of sand. I am God of water. God's response was telling. In Exodus 3, 13 through 14, it says more than this, but this is, the, this is the gist. He says, I am who I am. See, what this tells us about God is that God is not bound to anything, but everything is bound to him. And that's an important distinction. Why is that an important distinction? Because God is merely more than a God. He's, he's not merely more of a God than the idols are. He's not just another God that is more powerful. He is the only God, and he is the only one from whom power expounds. Power comes from God and God alone. Peace comes from God and God alone, like Pastor Brett was saying. He is power, and creation is his will. He's not some mystical being who has the power to bend creation to his will, but he is power. Creation is his will, and he is not below or equal to it, but he is above it all. Without him, creation is not merely untamed. We think that, well, if God left the picture, then everything would run into anarchy and everything would be crazy. But that's not the case. If God left the picture, everything would just cease to exist. Everything would stop. It's not just chaos. It's an absence of anything. But it's also because of him and his presence that creation continues that life continues, and that life continues to prosper, and that life continues to get better. 
And since God is above idols and all fears, this is something that Pastor Brett said earlier. This is one of the, the second point. Who is God? What is God? He is the only one who can provide peace. It says this in verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity and whose name is holy. These three things mean that God is the only one who can provide peace. The only one. Not just one of the people that can. Not just another God. He's not that. He is who he says he is. He defines who he is. Not an act, not something else in creation. Why? Because he's above creation and he's above it all. He's the only God. The third thing that we need to do to obtain and to share peace is to understand who we are. See, the beauty of this last thing is to understand is the fact that there are so many similarities amongst us as well as differences. Like we already talked about two times, I'm going to bring it up one more time. As we said, we all have certain fears and these fears drive us to do something. Have you ever stopped to think, why does my fear drive me? It's because we're not like God. We're not above these things. You know, sometimes we can get on our high horse and we can talk about Satan. And we can talk about demons. And we can say, ain't nothing going to break nothing. You know, Satan's never going to hurt me. Satan's never going to touch me. But we forget the fact that that's not because of us. That Satan very well could touch you if you didn't have your father standing behind you. You're a pipsqueak compared to the powers of this world. And just like how the people of Judah were tossed to and fro because they held their precious things into the hands of burning idols, so are we if we're not careful. So are we if we wander too far away from God. We can be tossed to and fro. This is how we're different than God. But we can make a choice when we understand our finite abilities. We can try to make ourselves great enough to face these fears, right? We can do what we need to do when we control things. We can seize what we need to control. We can seize that power and crush anything else in our way. We can seize that intimacy that we need by going out and getting it. We can seize those funds, but at the end of the day, we can never get big enough to change anything. At the end of the day, it's not enough. At the end of the day, here's the thing. At the end of the day, if somebody said to you, here's a $50,000 medical bill, how much did all of that frugal saving that you did on your own strength save you? At the end of the day, when you're alone and you're sad, how much did that computer screen save you on intimacy? At the end of the day, when you have no support, how much did seizing that control really get you? At the end of the day, when you're alone at the top of the ladder, did it matter? No, that's not what we can do. That's not the choice we should make. The choice that we should make is we can humble ourselves to the healing of God in our lives. See, I've tried this many times. I've tried to overcome sin, idolatry, and shame. And this is what I'm saying. I'm not saying to you, but to warn you and to inform you because I've lived it myself. I said, if I just focus really hard, if I have self-control, I can get over the things that I do in my secret. I can get over the, the ways that I, I crush everybody in my path to get control. If I just get big enough, if I just had more self-control, I could get over it. I can push myself, I can push these obstacles out of the way and get to the path to God's holy mountain. But I failed time and time and time and time again. Because I failed to realize that I can't even control myself, much less control the obstacles that are in my path, much less control the idols that are bigger than, my, than, are bigger than I. Left to my own devices and left to our own devices, we will always choose sin because we're just not big enough. It's just our nature. 
We might not choose every sin, but there are some that nag at us. We might not all have financial troubles with, with giving or, or, or troubles with intimacy, but we'll struggle with one of the things that I listed. We'll struggle with an idol somewhere, and it will always keep bringing us back if we rely on ourselves. It is only through my access to the grace of God that I'm able to throw off everything that hinders and to run towards the prize. I think Paul said something about that. It's only by the grace of God that I can do that. It's not on my own strength. It's not on my own power. I've tried so many times and I've fallen in that race. The only way that I can win that race is through the power that I have, through the access that I have to the grace of God who's bigger than all of these idols. Because I'm not bigger than them, but I know someone who is. And that's the only way. That's the only way to the path up to his holy mountain. That's the only way that we're not tossed to and fro. That's the only way we get peace. It's not about who we are. It's not about the obstacles. It's about who God is. And we understand that we are helpless to sin. We know we must appeal to God's grace and power to obtain peace. When we understand that we are helpless to sin, we must know that we must appeal to God's grace and power to obtain peace. And this is also in verse 15. Verse 15, it says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is contrite, and lowly in spirit, those who humble himself, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to heal them, and to revive the heart of the contrite, to heal them. God is not going to be angry at us anymore. See, God's anger and wrath was totally poured out on his son. See, it's when we become, as Isaiah describes, contrite and lowly, that God will make his presence with us. See, it says in Isaiah 57, 16 to 19. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry, for they would faint away because of me. If God was angry at us all the time, we wouldn't exist. He punished us. He says, I punished them, and I hid my face in anger, yet they kept on their willful ways. I have seen their ways. He has seen our sin, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips, peace. Peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will hear them. I will heal them. When we are brought low, God will heal us from our fears and idolatries. And he'll be with us. But how can this be? This makes no sense. This is so confusing to us. See, because we understand, right? Let, let's do a quick little recap of the three things that we need to understand to get peace. We understand what we need, right? We understand that we need the grace of God because we're too small. Because first, we understand that in this world, there are obstacles and idols that separate us from peace, right? There are things on the path to peace that are just going to come in and drive us to fear and drive us off that path. We also understand that God, who's enthroned in majesty, he's over on the lofty mountain. He's high. He's so much above everything else. He's up there holy, without sin, and infinite in power, is above us, and he's above those obstacles. And we also understand that by our, own, by our own efforts, we can't do anything about it. But in humble submission, we can receive peace through grace. But how? I think that this is the thing that we need to understand. We need to understand Emmanuel. See, I told you guys this would be a Christmas message. See, while we we're still sinners, tossed fruit to and fro... The great I am, the one who defines himself, the one who says, I am who I say I am, the one who's above each and everything, took on flesh and walked among us. Before Mary could even ask what to name the child, she would immaculately conceive. She was told what to name her child. 
This is one of the first times that Jesus is mentioned ever. And I believe it's the first time he's mentioned by name in Matthew. It says, Matthew 1, 21 to 23. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So as God dwelt with us, he not only made the way to God known, but he proclaimed that he is the way to God. As Jesus lived his life, he didn't just live his life and was a good teacher and then he died and then that's it. He lived his life and he said, listen, I am God. I am the great I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the only way to get to that holy mountain, the only way to get to peace is through me. He said that. That was his life. He not only came down from the holy mountain and dwelt with us through that path, but he said, look, that's the way. I'm the way. I'm the path. And clouded in their fear of losing power. Clouded in their fear of losing power. What did the Jews do? What did the Pharisees do? They placed Jesus in the hand of a burning idol. They delivered him unto who? They delivered him unto Pontius Pilate. They delivered him into the Romans. They delivered him to a power that said, Look, you are so afraid of, of losing my power that I will crush anything that gets in my way, including whoever this Jesus is. So, Caesar, you are, there is no God except for Caesar. There is no ruler except for Caesar. No king except for Caesar. So here you go. Here's the most precious thing in the world. And they placed him into the burning hands of Pontius Pilate. And as he screamed and died on the cross... The loud drums kept pounding, the insults, the crown of thorns, the lashings, and it rained down on the righteousness, the mocking. Doesn't this remind you of something else? A people that mocked righteousness, people that handed something so precious into the hands of burning idols. Should remind you of the past been in all morning, Isaiah 57, the people of Judah, mocking righteousness screaming at them, banging, so they didn't have to look at what they did, but instead, they persecuted and they placed something so precious into the hands of a burning idol. God's anger and wrath was totally poured out, completely. He was angry. He had to punish, but he would not be angry forever because he sat, the wrath of God was satisfied on that day. And while we, he saw the mockery of Jesus and the sin that persisted, rather than let his anger kill each and every one of us like we deserved, because the wages of sin is death, rather than have that happen, rather than kill the very breath that he had poured out, he poured out his wrath on Jesus, satisfying it completely. And God's anger and wrath was poured out. It seemed like God was dead. And it seemed like peace was dead. But do you remember who God is? Do you remember what you understood? That God is not defined by nails. That God is not defined by metal. That God is not defined by wood. That God is not defined by power. No, God is defined by only one thing. He's defined by himself. So that's not how the story ended. Since God is above creation, creation cannot overcome him. Since God is above creation, creation can't keep him. Since the grave is not above him, the grave could not hold him. He's above fire, and he's not just the God of 
fire of hell, the fire of idols, and even the fire of Satan himself could not touch him. Fear runs away at the risen name of the Prince of Peace. That is the truth that we have this morning. And what is that name? What is the name that we talk about? It's the name of Jesus, for he will save the people from their sin. He will save the people from their sin, and he has cleared a way to peace. So he came down from the holy mountain, and then what did he do on the cross? He got rid of every obstacle, pushed it out of the way. He said, my people won't have to deal with that anymore. What is sin? It is obstacles, and he got rid of it. By coming, living, and dying, he had cleared every obstacle in our path, and he is our only way to peace, and he has shown the way. But what is he also called? He's called Emmanuel. He's called God with us. This, like so many other things, is not just for Moses and not just for Isaiah, but it's for us, for all time. You remember what I said about that Matthew passage, that it was one of the first times that the name of Jesus was spoken. And it said Emmanuel, which means that God is with us. The last thing in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, the last thing he says before he sends into heaven and the last thing in the gospel of Matthew. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold what? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he is with us. Jesus is still with us. He is preparing a place for us. He has cleared the path and said, I am the way. He is with us, breaking every chain, breaking every obstacle that it comes in our path, every idol that we pray to God and say, God, can you please get this out of my life? I don't want to do this anymore. Jesus is still with us, standing right behind us saying, I got it. I'll move it. I'll take care of it. My grace is sufficient for you. You are not given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of fear but a spirit of power and of a sound mind. You know why? Because the Spirit is the Holy Spirit which came from Jesus, who is always with us. The Holy Spirit which is God, who is standing with us above every obstacle, every obstacle to our peace. He's still with us, breaking every chain. If we just humble ourselves to his power and his grace. But why did I include the part about going and making disciples? Surely I could have just said, Behold, I am with you always. It's because that peace is not just for us. That peace is not something that we just have. Once we get up to the holy mountain, once we get up to the holy mountain, that's not the end. Once we have God's peace, that's not the end. It's a peace for all. There are people who are wicked being tossed from idol to idol. If you remember what Pastor Brett said, I actually said this to Pastor Brett in the office. I said, this scripture passage that you have, that I have you reading, is actually really cool and really dramatic because the last thing that Isaiah says is, There is no peace, said my Lord, for the wicked. Ooh. But it's actually not cool, it's actually terrifying. See, they know not peace, but they only know fear. And in their fear, they sin. And when they sin, they're in danger. They, they don't understand the things that, they under, that we understand. They don't understand that these idols that they're running to are actually the very thing that destroys them, or the very thing that hurts them, or the very thing that causes them not to have peace. They say, well, I can have peace if I just have enough money. I can have enough peace if I just sleep around and have sex with everything that moves. I can have peace 
if I just crush anything that's in my way and seize control of my life and I have my best life now, that is the way that I'll have peace. Because they don't understand that what they're talking about is an obstacle. Or maybe they say, I am bigger than these things. I am bigger than my fears. And so if I just buck up and pull myself up by my bootstraps, then I can go over the things that I'm afraid. Maybe if I just sit there and I take care of it myself and I become a man or I become a woman and I just do it and take it, I can do it. And they don't understand that they're just powerless to it. And so they keep falling and falling and falling and asking, why can't I get enough? Or maybe they just don't know God. Maybe they just don't know that there is something powerful enough that can change them. And so they keep on sinning and they're in danger. And it says, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, it says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greed, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But do you remember the next part of that verse? And such were some of you, faith church. Such were some of you, and such was I. That's who I was. But then what happened? But then I was washed. But then I was sanctified. But then I was justified. But then somebody came by the name of Jesus. Well, God with us. And he said what? He said, I am coming. Not for the rich. Not for the people that, I, that they think that I'm coming for. But I am coming for the lost. I'm coming for the sick. I'm coming to proclaim good news of great joy. I'm coming to proclaim freedom for the captives. Freedom to the people that are like this, who are outside of the kingdom of heaven. And such were some of us. But we were washed and sanctified by this man who goes by the name of what? That goes by the name of Jesus. The one and the only way to the path of peace. The only way that we'll ever have peace. So what will we tell them when we stand on our holy mountain? How can we have peace when fear arises? What can we do? Not by submitting to idols or false gods can we do it. Not by lifting ourselves up. We can only have peace when we humbly hold our wills and our fears at the feet of the ever-present, ever-powerful Prince of Peace. For he's already taken away every obstacle. He's already given peace to everybody far and near, as far as the east is from the west. And how far is that? As Casting Crown says, from one scarred hand to the other. He's already made peace available. If you would just be lowly and contrite and just say, God, give me that peace. I want that peace. Jesus, please. The one who says that I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Be with me. Be with me. Always. Behold this majesty. The majesty of the Prince of Peace. Who, though he was, li- though he was high and holy and lifted up on the mountain, he came down. To us who didn't deserve it and washed us, sanctified us, justified us. Just as Mary's mother said, don't focus on your fear. Don't focus on your obstacles. Don't focus on the things that have come in the way of the path that God has given you. But instead, focus on what God has done. Focus on how God had came down, gotten rid of every obstacle and said, I will be with you to guide you every step of the way. And every step of the way. Have your hands out, just like I did. Just like I did, grabbing people and bringing them along with you to my holy mountain. And when you get there, 
Submit to him your fears. He'll give you peace. When you get to the holy mountain and you have an answer that I've given you, you have the answer that Christ had given you before me. When you get to that holy mountain, go tell it. Go tell it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word. God, I know I probably didn't do it perfect. But God, I know that I don't stand on my own words because my own words get tossed to and fro. I'm not above creation. I'm not above these sinful things. God, I know that there have been times where I have been led off of your path and I repent and I apologize and I am so sorry, God. God, there are times that I've traded in your peace for fear, that I've looked fear in the face and said, take me wherever you want to go, that I feared these idols. But God, let me not fear them. God, let me fear and love you. Let me be motivated by a respect, motivated by a knowledge of who you are, that you're not bound, that you're not defined by anything. But you define who you are because you are above it all. God, in that, I ask that you give us the confidence that as we go out today, as we go out and we get to go and tell it from the holy mountain of peace that you have given it, you have given to us, I ask that you give us the boldness to do so, that you give us the peace to do so. And God, as we continue on celebrating what you did by coming down and making a way through the birth of Christ in this season, I ask that you give us a joy, a hope, a peace, and a love that surpasses all understanding and that we know what that name of that joy, hope, peace, and love is. That name above all names, King Jesus. Amen. Well, I wouldn't tell you to go. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com.